Practice makes uh, Good morning. Welcome to Practice Makes Practice podcast. Uh, I'm Christopher Knowles. I'm the executive director of the organization. And this morning we have Andrew Herzog on the show with us. Uh, very, very excited to chat with him today about uh, the scope of his work and what he's doing in life. Um, so without further ado, welcome Andrew to the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, happy, happy to be chatting. Totally. Why don't we start off just kind of kicking into it. How would you define your practice and uh, what are you up <laughs> yeah, to? Let's just days? start with the hardest question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got time. Yeah, yeah we got time. <laughs> Um, well, I suppose I would define it, I guess, like in a very sh- straightforward way, I would say that the, my practice is uh, a balance between <laughs> art and design. Um, I run a small studio here in New York City called School, um, which focuses mainly on design um, and kind of within design, I would say we are pretty interested in uh, making things that are kind of interactable, things that people can kind of use or play with or, uh, you know, are not necessarily like static objects. And and that doesn't mean that we are just making apps or websites. I mean, we do a lot of, you know, your traditional graphic design around like identities and campaigns and things like that. Um, but it's always kind of with this idea of, trying to kind of have conversations with people through the work. And, and I think like, you know, we're just in this point in time where traditional visual communication, this one way visual communication is not necessarily um, the expectation anymore. And, and so I think like, which is super exciting and that allows for a lot of really like innovative possibilities and techniques and, and the ability to just do things that, you know, maybe are a little bit more um, fun and experiential uh, across the board, not just, you know, your, your traditional experiential work. So that's kind of like, and, and we can delve more into that uh, later because yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's a whole, like a whole thing. So there's like that. Uh, and then, you know, as like, yeah. a, as like kind of a practicing artist, I also make a lot of work that deals with or, or kind of exists in the public space. Um, and that ranges from sculptures mm. to um, kind of like public interventions uh, in cities and, and museums and things like that. Um, and also, I guess, like performance work, but I don't really, I don't know, like the thought of performance art, I feel like feels too high brow. To a certain extent. Okay. Just, Why do you feel I guess that I just way? Feel like that's <laughs> the one. That's the one where it's like, okay, you had me with like, I get like art, painting, sculpture, but then we start to get into performance art, and it's like, whoa, now we have to be very open-minded. And and I appreciate like it's not necessarily like my own uh, 
thought around it. I mean, I love it. I, I'm a big, I'm a big art fan just in general. Um, any type of work I want to like, I, mm-hmm. I'm just a big, I don't know. I can't <laughs> overstate that enough. I am a huge art nerd. Um, but I guess like a lot of, and, and I think like what a lot of my work deals with and the reason why I work so often in public space is because I'm really interested in like the sort of boundaries of, of art itself or like, like art in the way that people kind of say like categorize things as like, okay, a painting is art, but somebody driving their car off a cliff is not art. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know? And, and I'm kind of very interested. I'm really interested in those, um, those kind of uh, boundaries, I guess you would call it, or just like the crossover of those things. And, you know, at what point does something qualify as an artwork or, and not to, you know, does that even matter, I guess, in a lot of ways and, and, you know, like who, who defines it and how they define it and all of those sorts of things. So, you know, I think like a lot of that work deals with, uh, accessibility in, in a lot of ways of like bringing people in like I don't make work that is well I do make work that lives in museums and galleries and stuff like that I think that that is such a small audience compared to making work that exists in public space um, and I just think the challenge of it and the the excitement of it and, and the interest in what it can kind of elicit from people is so much more interesting than you know, what's potentially elicited from someone walking into a gallery who knows the history of art, who understands that this type of work falls in this category or, you know, is neo whatever. Um, Because I I do understand, I do know that. And I'm, like I said, (laughs) again, I'll just say like a huge art nerd and I get really into that stuff. But at the same time, I, I just feel like it's such a small portion of people that you're talking to when you get that far into things and you know if the work starts there Mm -hmm. then you're excluding such a large audience and I just feel like I just get really interested in um, how do you make work that is really easy has a really you know low barrier to entry but can also uh, satisfy you know someone who's very very knowledgeable to someone who is really interested like myself um and that's a really also a long way to talk about (laughs) the art practice as well yeah so i think we're off to a really good start (laughs) concise uh, explanations of things well i'm not sure that uh you know things being concise is necessary per se You know, it sounds like um, just no matter what, there's a lot of questioning and a lot of curiosity that is part of your practice, period. And so expanding the definition of art, and I would also say the relationship of art and design to each other is probably accurate, yeah? And then how can it become... um, more tangibly accessible to more people seems to drive a lot of your work at the moment. Would you say that's true? Yeah. I mean, I would say that is one thing that I was thinking about prior to kind of like hopping on to chat with you this morning was like, 
I think a lot of the work, whether it's going through the design studio or whether it's in the art practice, deals with this idea of accessibility. And it's something that I'm really, really interested in just because I just think like the larger the conversation, the larger the audience, the larger the ability to comprehend what is being said or what's being talked about or how it's being used or how to use it um, just adds to the interest for me. You know, I'm, I guess that it comes down to that in a lot of ways. And like, I don't know, I guess like deep down somehow I kind of have like this very teacherly interest. I think like growing up my, my, my dad, it was always like very, my dad was never, was not a teacher, but it was always about like learning how to do things. It was always about like, um, he was always kind of teaching me, you know, like we, I always kind of tell this story around like growing up, we, I don't think any, I don't think I ever remember anyone coming to our house to fix anything. I think it was always like my dad, uh, kind of doing everything whether it was plumbing or electrical or hanging drywall or you know any possible things that were going on that needed to be fixed within the house and you know being like a kid who's around you kind of get sucked into that stuff you're like okay hold this here I'm going to show you how to do this here make sure you don't touch that like um and so like I feel like from as early as I can remember I was always really being kind of like taught things in a, in a really like procedural way. Like this is, this is why the lights turn on when you flick this switch. And if you disconnect this, they won't. <laughs> and this is why the water comes out here. And like, you know what I mean? Like it was always like, maybe not exactly in those words, but you know, I, I just always was like privy through experience to how things functioned around me, you know, and and at first it was just like perhaps in the home, but then like, as I grew up and got older, you know, that kind of expanded outward. And, and so for me, like, I guess there's this real interest in kind of reproducing a lot of those uh, experiences because I just think like knowledge, teaching, making things accessible, uh, leads to the possibility for people to leave that situation and do something of their own, which is like really what I want to see. Cool. You know, it's like, I, yeah. don't, I don't even want to see like my work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like I want to see like the work that is, uh, that stems from the work that I create in a lot of ways. Um, and that's getting a little bit abstract, I think, because, you know, some of the work is not necessarily like... <laughs> instructions for anything like that but you know it's just that idea that like the end piece is not the end of the possibility you know it's like it's rather just like a conduit to a new possibility for someone else um (laughs) without getting too abstract here that's actually like an interestingly humble approach where it acknowledges that you are coming along in a line of art and design traditions and practices, you're doing your part to expand that to other people. And then you assume they're going to take that further on their, 
on their own, which in a way, the reason we probably get inspired to become designers or artists in the first place is we saw something that inspired us to go investigate and make something. So you're actually trying to fundamentally have that. That's a function of, of being a creator in and of itself is you're sparking uh, inspiration in other people that, that then can take that torch further and in yeah. their own way, their own special way. Yeah, exactly. And I think maybe like, I guess it would be helpful perhaps for listeners, <laughs> maybe like to give it a little bit more like tangible, tangibleness, I don't know if that's a word, but so I guess like to give it some tangibility, when I, I used to run a studio in New York City um, a couple of years ago called Hall Raff, which was like this kind of small studio that it was four partners. We had all met working at the Google Creative Lab um, and we kind of all left Google at the same time and started this little studio. Um, and again, we we're kind of doing like interactive work and we ran the studio for about two and a half years. And we were really interested in this idea of like transparency in the design studio, in the design world, because like, you know, there's a lot of design studios out there, but mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people have this idea or this ambition to start design studios because they want to do it for themselves, which is great. Um, and so we're really interested in kind of like the idea of transparency. We did a lot of projects while the studio was going on. They were like self-initiated that tried to explain or expose like the way a studio works. And again, we would always kind of like preface it with like, this is not necessarily the only way, but this is the way that we do it. And like, hopefully this is helpful. And that would range from like how we picked or like how we would kind of like decide whether or not to do a project to um, like how we would kind of write proposals and things like that. Hmm. And then when we ultimately decided to close the studio because the four of us kind of wanted to go our separate ways, we basically took everything um, that we could show <laughs> legally from like contracts to proposals to project decks to even a spreadsheet that showed how much money we made the entire time the studio ran, put it all on a Google Drive and made it publicly accessible. Um, and that is kind of like, I guess, part of, that's like a really tangible example of what I mean when I'm talking about this interest in like making things that make more things like that mm. drive exists now. now it hopefully will exist forever. And it's just like a point in time that shows you for two years, how much this studio run by four 20 something year olds made, uh, how they wrote proposals, how they wrote contracts, how they presented their work. Um, you know, all of those things that you kind of have the questions around when you want to start something like that, that, you know, if you get lucky, someone gives you the answers to, if you don't have someone to give you the answers, you're kind of like <laughs> out in the ocean, you know, you're just like yeah. trying to figure it out your, for yourself. And so that's like, <laughs> that's a really tangible example of that work, um, you know, in the design world and then, you know, in the art world, perhaps to like balance this out, uh, Actually, I saw you, we, you were there and participated in at the High Museum in Atlanta. Gosh, was that in 2019 in the fall? It was. 
Yeah. I did a, a project there at the high um, that I've done in a couple of places. I actually, well, I've only done it twice now. I did it once in China at a museum there and I did it once in, in Atlanta, um, but it's called a communal line. And the idea is you kind of like get people together. Uh, they form a line and the person who's in the front of the line takes 25 steps in whatever direction they want. So they basically like steer the line through the museum campus, however yep. they want. And then when they're 25 steps are over, they go to the back of the line and the next person comes up and they steer the line. And it's kind of like, that's where, <laughs> that's the idea of like this performance artwork. Yes. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's like, there's a lot packed into it with the possibility of, um, I guess like not only going to a museum to consume or like be a viewer, but also being asked to create at a museum, you know, which is like these hollowed ground institutions that oftentimes we are, like I said, at best invited to as a viewer. At worst, we're kind of there feeling out of sync or kind of almost out of place, you know, like, I can remember going to a museum for the first time and I didn't, I never had gone to one until I went to college. And I just remember like going to one for the first time and feeling like this is, there's like so many, there must be so many unwritten rules here. I just feel super uncomfortable. Like, am I supposed to dress up? Am I supposed to like, you know, like I, yeah. I noticed that like you're not, people aren't talking very loud. Like, should I talk really low? Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, sure. it's, it can be a very uncomfortable place for, for a place that is supposed to be uh, projecting and giving us an insight into the most important visual culture of our uh, history. And I say that with quotes, yeah. air, air quotes for, yes. <laughs> for everyone who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for a place that's supposed to do that, it's an awfully uncomfortable and, you know, just difficult place, I think, to visit at times. And so that work is kind of about like flipping that idea on its head and, and really going to the museum as a way of making something, you know, versus consuming something or versus being like this outside viewer uh, that I think we often you know, end up taking the role of when we go to places like that, if, if we even go to places like that. Yeah, exactly. In the first place. <clears throat> There's a lot to, I, I have a lot of questions spiraling out of that. Um, first off, participating in that was a lot of fun. Uh, it, I think what, what I remember, you probably do too. How many participants were there? Was it maybe like 20, 30? I can't, Remember. I think I think at that one we I think we may have had like thirty seven at that one. Okay, <laughs> but what I recall is pretty much everybody in the group. There was a lot of like laughing and smiles and <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it really was just like very joyful and um, uh, there was something that very quickly became very human about it to me. Um, whereas a lot of times art. I think when you try to put it in a particular uh, like perspective in a museum can start to slip away from feeling as human. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, Definitely. oh, this is this thing you you probably don't understand, number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, you know, and even artists go and look at other artists' work and they're like, I don't, I don't really know how to connect to it, you know, and like we can admit that. But I think just by going outside and thinking of something so basic and so simple <clears throat> that brought immediate emotion to people is an interesting way to go about it. Um, which it also almost felt like a bit of a rebellion because you did it on the lawn of a, of like Atlanta's, you know, quote unquote, leading art institution. <laughs> did, did you have permission yeah. from the museum? I'm curious. We, we did have permission from the museum, but they didn't, it wasn't they didn't like promote a, it. Yeah, it wasn't like an officially like promoted thing. Right. And I think like that, <clears throat> and that's kind of, I'm glad you picked up on that because I think that's like, deep, you know, even like a little bit deeper, you know, for me, like that is a big piece of it. A big piece of it does have to do with like rebellion or protest in some ways, even if the museum gives us permission or even if the museum kind of promotes it, I still think that like the thought of using institutional space as a place for people to express their uh, movement or whatever we want to call that, even if it's just in the simple act of walking all over their lawn, their nicely manicured <laughs> yes. lawn. Yeah. Um, I think that it's like a simple act that, you know, is, is a bit of a rebellion and is important, uh, you know, to do in, in some ways. Um, like the one that I did, and, and you know, it's interesting because like I said, I've only done it twice and we had actually had plans to do uh, a couple more of them this year, but obviously <laughs> nobody's doing anything this year, really. Uh, right. So hopefully next year we'll, we'll get back on track with some of those. But, you know, I think, it, and, and that's been an interesting thing to think about, like, well, what is it that makes that work work, you know, at what makes it function? And I think that it is the fact that we're utilizing these institutional spaces, because I think like on one side, and like, that's what I mean earlier, where it's like, it's, it is human and it is simple and it is super accessible, which is really important. But then like, if you want to, you can kind of drill deeper into it, like you're kind of doing where it's like, actually, when I think about it a little bit more, it's a little bit of a rebellion, mm-hmm. which is like exactly where, you know, my mind is at when I'm putting it together is like, you know, this is, this will be easy to do for people but the what it says or what it can say is actually pretty large you know when you really delve into it and i think that that's really important and that's like a really delicate balance um for the work but again you know i think like you know going back to your point without rambling off too far um you know this this idea of like rebellion or this idea of like pushing these institutions that are there essentially you know, to serve the public. Um, I think it's it's a project that is a little bit of a protest towards that and a little bit of a reminder that like, you know, we're still, we're still here, you know, and we're, we don't want to just be uh, a captive audience to a certain extent, mm-hmm. you know, and th- this space is, this space is for everyone. It should be. 
I notice in some of your, um, since we're kind of focusing on the art side at the moment, I notice in a lot of your work, um, I want to make sure I observe this the right way. So correct me if I, or inform me if I should take anything else out of it. But um, there seems to be a fascination almost with simplification in a sense where it's like, I see a couple projects. There's a report, circle or curve, blue sky or sky blue, circle or curve that was uh, large, the one where you kind of walked around. Mm-hmm. Where, where was that? That was like Czech Republic or something? In, in Romania. Romania, that's right. And then, yeah. and then there's walking lines, a communal line, something. And I'm seeing these commonalities where it's like you're taking almost elementary ideas you know like a shape mm-hmm. um and using it to prompt uh what i would say is like an invitation to a perspective it's almost like uh how can this become meditative or how can this become like a consideration of like even what is art type stuff like so um how are you what's driving you towards some of that like that simplicity is that correct, by the way? Yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. I mean, I think that that's a really good, again, like a really good pickup. Um, and hopefully that means that like the It's translating. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah, like it's translating in some ways. Um, because I think that that is like the reason for using that, those ideas of like simplification is again, you know, it's kind of like the reason in my mind, like why we're able to codify like paintings as painting as like art Mm -hmm. right it's like we've like made this distinction that like okay like I get it like I know how that's made I get what it is I can accept that this is the thing and and for me like it's it's about this idea of like ubiquity in a way because if we think about like art like painting photography sculpture kind of like ubiquitous right it's like you see any of those things and we just understand that's art and I think part of that is this relationship with the medium. Mm-hmm. And so with this idea of like simplification, I'm really interested in like utilizing languages that are <clears throat> ubiquitous and kind of communal in that way. You know, it's like we all, for the most part, as long as we're, you know, able-bodied walk or we kind of move. Right. So yeah. that's like a commonality. The, the blue sky project was like, I would, I would say that the medium from that project was the sky itself. And it's like, we all have looked at the sky, you know, there's yeah. like a language that exists there that we can delve into that we can kind of start to have a conversation. And, and like I said before, whether that conversation is like extremely deep and philosophical or whether that conversation is just like pretty fun or whatever, you know, like, there's still the ability to access the work on some level. And I think that it's important to utilize this kind of ubiquitous common language as a way to do that. Or at least like that's the way that I tend to work, you know, is like these least, these like most common denominators that like are really accessible and easily understood. You know, perhaps when we start to, put them through the lens of art, they become a little bit more abstracted and hard to understand. But I think that it's important 
to recognize the fact that like the action of walking could, you know, when you photograph it in the right way, it does draw a line, you know, in the walking lines, like right. those, those actions are perhaps if we look at them in the right way, they are artistic, you know, even though we're just, we walk as a utility, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, there is something that can be poetic about it. And I think like it's about planting those ideas because like I said before, it's, again about like what happens when those ideas start to take root in people that is conversations and thoughts that I'll probably that I'll never see but to me like that's what's interesting and so again like that simplicity of language and ubiquity of of the mediums is really important because then you can have a mass conversation you can have the most amount of people talking about it versus like if we're talking about like proprietary like sculpture and things like that, that we feel like, I don't understand why there's (laughs) a giant tree upside down hanging from this scaffolding or something like that. You know, it's like, there's a lot, maybe a lot more to unpack there that there's a lot more things that are perhaps like framed in a way that we're not used to seeing them framed, which ultimately might, confuse or convolute what the potential communication is and kind of drives you away whereas Mm. like i think when we utilize things that are natural and ubiquitous there's more of this potential for people walking by on the street to just go like that was interesting (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah going on you know like hold on i think like I, i think i need to engage with that because like i already understand in some subconscious way what is going on here and then you know once that hook is set it's like well then you decide how deep do you want to get into it um Hmm. so i i like that that ultimately um it's about speaking a common language is like the beginning Mm -hmm. you know it's the beginning and then from there people can riff on it to their own to adapt it to their own perspective. I think, you know, that's a very kind and generous approach to creating art. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's very thoughtful. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to start in something that you already know very well, uh, you know, and, and leave you. Yeah. That, that's a really, that's a really amazing. That's a, I've never really thought about it like that, but that's a really, Wow, that was, that's amazingly succinct. I, I need to write. I need to write <laughs> that take a note. Down. <laughs> um, no, that's wonderful. Um, so, how does your art practice and your design practice relate to one another? Then, and and unpack that however you'd like to. Yeah, I think that that I think that it's kind of similar in a lot of ways. I think mm-hmm. that like the underlying hopes or thoughts around like people accessing the work is really important and maybe even more important in design to a certain extent because it's like design has to communicate Mm -hmm. for clients or for whatever um and so there there tends to be like that commonality and perhaps like that's where the idea of using some of those mechanisms come from in the art process or in the art practice, because like I'm trained as a designer, like I'm trained as a person who ideally knows how to communicate 
pretty well or ideally knows how to like make something images interactions things that do communicate well with people Mm -hmm. uh and so then like those tend to be like the underlying structures of both of that work of those types Mm. of work that's amazing so in kind of switching into your design well okay i have one question before i ask that do you find it a nuisance to divide art and design as ideas or are you okay with that yeah, in a lot of ways I do. I guess I find it a nuisance that people have a people have to like compartmentalize those things so stringently. You know, it's like we can't uh like you can't be <laughs> can't be an artist and be a designer and you can't be a designer and be an artist. I think are like old ideas. I'll I'll say that. I think that the more and more that I like work with and talk to uh, and spend time with like younger creatives, I think that those things are wholly um, going away, you know? And I often find that I'm having a lot of conversations like with younger creatives, like through the studio or through like working, helping out with projects, you know, art projects that, are really interested in this like multifaceted practices. You know, they're not, they don't want to just be uh, working on a button for something. They want to be thinking about a lot of different things. And, and I think that that's much more what the future will be is kind of these multifaceted creative minds and, and thinkers. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess I do find it a little bit of, an, of a nuisance that it exists, but I do also very much um, understand that that's like part of the game. You know, it's like when you talk about like capital A contemporary art, um, there's a pretty narrow perspective on a lot of that stuff. It's a pretty narrow like acceptance model within that, um, which I think from time to time I deal with and don't deal with, uh, depending on what type of work that I'm doing. And there's definitely like a less of a, I don't, which I don't really understand how it happened because like when you look back, like, um, like Rauschenberg and like a lot of these artists that we know today as like, you know, our most prized American artists, let's just say, were also like commercial artists. I mean, Warhol was an illustrator. Rauschenberg was uh, like a graphic designer, basically. Like there's there's a history of that happening. There's like a long history of that existing. Um, and so at some point there was like this delineation, I guess probably... I don't know, in like the 80s or so. I, I don't know. I'm not really that well versed in where this delineation has happened. But at some point, there's this delineation that happens that is like, there's this or there's this. And like, there's a separation of, of these jobs. But I guess like the last thing I'll say is, in my experience, when I get down to doing the work, they're so... It, in a lot of ways so similar like commercial art and design are literally <laughs> the exact same thing in commercial art when you're selling stuff through a gallery your client are collectors 
which is yeah, exactly. no different, which is absolutely no different than your client being Google or something like that. Mm-hmm. They want a nice thing to collect, to put on their wall, to add to their collection, to whatever. Like you're just like the gallerist and the gallery that you're working with is just as cognizant of that as you are when you're doing design work and you're thinking, okay, this needs to express the idea of whatever for this company or you know, this institution or whatever it is that you're working with. So like I will, I'm, I'm pretty strongly having had my feet in both of those worlds have a pretty strong belief that they're very, very similar. And for some reason we're told that they're not. Uh, and there's this idea mm-hmm. that like when you're doing one, you don't have to worry like, you know, they're like wholly different and, and they do different things. Artists are different than designers and yada, yada, yada. But so in that way, like in the, in the output, I think that they're very much the same. And in the ideology and the way that you think about things, I don't know. I, yeah, that conversation I find to just be like annoying when people <laughs> not like not right now like not in this context but i think like in the context that no, people bring it mean. up like uh in a like in a way to kind of not include or you know or alternatively like exclude right to exclude people yeah. like i just find it to yeah. be really stupid and i think it's actually like i think it's going away and i think that that will be like a dinosaur thought <laughs> in in the future um you know i think that like and that's not to say that like you know everything is art or everything is design but like i just think that those that delineation as like a as a non-starter is a is a total waste um and kind of stupid yeah i also find it to be pretty limiting because regardless of how you get on a project or, you know, whatever <clears throat> initiated the project, whether it's like a client hired you for something or you decided to, you, you know, you observe something or you had an idea about something that <clears throat> gave birth to a project in your mind. I guess my view on it is at the end of the day, it's still going to land in front of human beings. And they'll have to digest it based on what you did on the project. So it's kind of like, you know, and even when it comes to an art, a quote unquote art project, you're still trying to define parameters. You're still trying to define like, you know, what, what is going to help this project take shape. It's, the same way you would on a design project. Absolutely. And, and what's so like the normal, like the typical argument is like, well, like design functions and art doesn't have to, or like stupid shit like that, which I think is like just idiotic. It's like, what do you mean art doesn't function when you look at, like, do people not talk about what the artwork is about? <laughs> Isn't that what everyone always asks? What is this about? That's, yeah, that's exactly. You want to know. Like, yeah, it is. <laughs> That's not yeah. nothing. <laughs> and it's the same, and design is the same way. What is this ad trying to get me to buy? What is this painting trying to get me to feel? Like, it's the same thing. It's just such a stupid... It is actually, yeah. I guess I'd say, instead of saying, like, what is this about? It might even more specifically 
the question is, what does this thing prompt me to do? Yeah. Like, you know, a piece of art can prompt you to consider something or feel something, mm -hmm. which leads to action. But you're right. That's a functionality. That's like a, that's a method to a next step and um, design, I think in the same way. Yeah. It's like, what is this prompting me to do or feel and leading me to the next step of what, like understanding or buying the thing or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was just kind of curious. And I mean, on your website right now, you have things kind of divided, like tagged, but between art and design. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, that must become tedious because <laughs> they're all there on the same page. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I, I think, and that's kind of like maybe why, <laughs> why, I've, why, why I have this conversation on a fairly regular basis, because I think a lot of like, that is kind of the conversation that I often have with like younger, like creatives mm -hmm. is they, they kind of like see that and it's, and they're like, well, that's really interesting i guess one because like you have both of these things living together which like a lot of times at a certain point you would just have a website that's like only your art practice or only your design practice right you would say like mm -hmm. andrew herzog design <laughs> andrew herzog yeah <laughs> dot com or like whatever but you know i guess i i classify them because i think the purpose of the work is perhaps like the context in which you experience the work is different, right? Like if I look at like yeah. work that I did for Google where we're using artificial intelligence to predict what you're about to draw, like is not, mm -hmm. not art. If it were perceived, if it were in a museum, it would be art, but in mm -hmm. the way that it was produced, it, it is outside of a museum. It is produced as a public, you know, it's a website. And the work that, like in Romania, where we, where I painted the circle around the museum, like that deals directly with an institution, like also that work is about art, you know? And I think like, perhaps that's why I make that distinction is not because I think like these things are different, but it's more of like a, a clair like a clarifier for the viewer to just go like okay i'm about to look at like what was considered like a piece of art versus like what was considered like a piece of design it's not to say that those mm -hmm. things are one functions and one doesn't <laughs> it's more of just right. a clarifier <laughs> it's like a con contextualizing the work because i think that context is is very important uh oh yeah for sure. So <clears throat> you have run two studios at this point. You're currently running school. Um, would you mind filling us in a little bit about maybe the differences in the two experiences? Uh, I guess I'd say so far since <laughs> school is still running, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, and, um, you know, and what's a, what is it? what's a day in the life of school look like? Um, so those are like two separate questions. I'd be curious about, you've run two different studios. Let's start with yeah. that. So I think that it's probably worth saying that school would not exist without Hall Ref existing. Um, and 
like I said before, like Haraf kind of Haraf started with four partners. Uh, we all worked together at the Creative Lab at Google, which is like this small group in New York City, uh, in the New York City Google office that is. Uh, and that's hard to define. It's kind of like we do a lot of stuff there. There's some, you know, you work with a lot of. There's some engineering talent. There's it's kind of like an agency. It's kind of like a Google agency, but like mm -hmm. <clears throat> there's also some autonomy to it. Like you're not like I did a few projects there that were wholly like self-initiated. Like the the project that mm. brought up around like using artificial intelligence to predict and auto-complete what you're trying to draw was a project that basically I manifested. You know, it was like, um, like we were kind of looking at some technologies and really interested and like, hey, this would be a really cool thing for Google to do. And, mm -hmm. you know, a year later, we produced it uh, after a year worth of work. So, you know, it was a, it's an interesting place to work in that sense. Uh, that being said, it was many years since I've worked there, so I, I don't know. So I know it's also a place that shifts around a lot and shifts focus quite often. So who knows what an experience like that, you know, is right now, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so the four, <laughs> of us, the four of us met, as, <laughs> four of us met working there. Um, and I think we had all kind of come from, at that point we had worked at a bunch of different places from like startups. Uh, I had worked at RGA, which is like a big ad agency for a little while. And then I worked uh, briefly at the Sagmeister and Walsh studio and Pedro, who is another, who ended up being a partner at Haraf, I met at Sagmeister. And then when I went to Google, he went to Google as well. And then we met Carly and Nikki there. Carly was like a writer strategist and Nikki was a creative technologist. And I think we we're all kind of sick of <laughs> eating free food and having a great job. And we thought it would be <laughs> a really good idea to start our own company. Um, mm -hmm. I think, like I said, I mean, the, the job at Google was probably, was essentially like a dream job for me. Like in college, that was like one of the, one of the dream places to work. And, and I worked there for a couple of years, but, you know, I guess we got to a point where it was like, we were just curious about could we do it? You know, what would it be like to to start your own studio? Um, yeah, you know, I think like a lot of people who study design or, or anything, you know, it's kind of like this push to do something on your own. And we realized with like the four of us that we kind of had a good balance of like technical abilities and creative abilities. And so we were kind of like this little mini agency, you know, we could do a lot of things with just the four of us. Um, and so we kind of made that decision to start the studio. So we all left Google. Um, and like I said, we, we had always, we had this idea in doing Haraf that it was like this very transparent thing. Um, we actually spent the first year of the studio's life uh, at New Inc, which is the New Museum's incubator program in New York City. Um, and so, which basically means like we had like a studio space for a year to work out of with a, oh, with a bunch cool. of other um, like artists and startups and filmmakers and creative technologists who are all part of like that year's New Ink program, um, gotcha. which, is, which okay. is really cool. It was really interesting to meet 
you know, all these different people that are doing different things. Um, and we had applied with this idea that initially we were like, oh yeah, we'll like write a book or something like that about starting a design studio. Um, but kind of quickly realized that like, just trying to get a studio off the ground is actually enough work. Um, writing a book on the other side of it. Also, it, was, <laughs> like it's, yeah. it was like, I don't even know that we have anything. We're not even that successful. I don't even know if we have that, anything that like useful to say. Uh, <laughs> but you know, we, the whole time though, we kept notes and we kept, we would like publish things with, you know, different uh, media groups. Like we did a bunch of articles with Fast Company and the Creative Independent. And, you know, we would like do things where we would talk about the process and we would talk about, you know, all these things. And, you know, it took about, uh, we ran the studio for nearly three years. And I would say it took about two years before we were solidly afloat, meaning like we were paying ourselves more than what we needed just to pay our rent. <laughs> you know, like, gotcha. for the, you yeah, know, it was yeah. like, it was a couple, it took a little while before like things we're at a point where it was like, okay, we're like moving. We can, you know, we can make some decisions. It wasn't like everything that comes in the door we have to do because that's, that's <laughs> what is paying our bills. Um, you yeah. know, we didn't, we kind of didn't have that, uh, that ability to be picky for a while. We just had to take what we could and we had to try and make the best possible work that we could out of it. Um, and I have like a million things to say about the first two years of running the design studio, but I'll save that for another time. <laughs> um, you sure? <laughs> well, I just feel like it's I like, mean... it just would be so tangential. So maybe we'll come back to it, but uh, just, okay. to, yeah, just to help, just to make this point, <laughs> just to answer your one question that you asked like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> no, I love um, it. I love it. So we, we ran the studio for about two and a half years, three years. And I think around like a year and a half or two years, we were kind of at a point where things were like floating. And I think at that point, you know, we kind of like all picked our head ups from just like grinding, you know, to make it work mm -hmm. to, to kind of start to ask the question of like, okay, well, like, which way do we go now? Do we want to hire a bunch of people and get bigger? Do we want to, you know, continue doing the same amount of work, but maybe like take more time off and have more like personal time? Do we want to focus on the work even more and kind of like take the smaller amount of projects, but really, really try and make them like amazing and, you know, like don't grow, don't, change very much just like try and focus on the work and i think what we realized in those conversations was that like well maybe the four of us actually have like kind of different ideas about where we want to go mm. and yeah. you know which which is really difficult conversation is really difficult realization to come to and you know ultimately it just led to us feeling like well we could either all compromise and keep doing this thing and probably learn or like end up hating each other because we're all like not really doing what we want to be doing we're just doing it because it works or we could stop and just say this was a great ride uh and let's just go do the next thing that each of us you know mm. kind of feels like is, is the right move and ultimately obviously we decided to do the latter um and I, I probably can't overstate like the difficulty in making a decision like that. I mean, it's not 
Like yeah. it makes <laughs> it's probably extremely emotional. Extremely, yeah, very, very emotional, very hard. Um, you know, I think when I lay it out like that, maybe it sounds like, oh yeah, that's pretty cut and dry. You just like make that decision. But yeah, the reality of the situation is like, oh man, this is you know, it's like something that you put a lot of a whole lot of time and effort into. I mean, it's it was, yeah, it was extremely difficult. It's one of the most more difficult things um, mm-hmm. that that we had that I had you know have had to do thus far. Um, but you know, we had we were in a really fortunate place that when we ended, we had done a couple of projects that basically had like when we split up the money like all of us could kind of afford to take some time, you know, we could take like six months without having to like rush to find a new job basically. Um, So everyone kind of like stepped back and I think like took a little bit of, you know, took some breaths. Um, Mm. And for me, like the realization was that I didn't want to go back to work for anyone else, not from like a, I don't know, some sort of like punk way of like, I don't ever want to work for anyone else again, <laughs> but more <laughs> that it just maybe felt like there was a little bit of like unfinished business or that like, yeah. like doing Haraf really helped me understand what I wanted to get out of like owning and like running a studio, you know, it really helped me start to glimpse like, what was possible in this autonomy of like running a studio. And, you know, I started to really think about like, okay, if I did it again, like what would I do differently? And like, you know, I had a lot, I still had a lot of love for the idea of like running a a space, you know, a studio that was making work and, you know, ideally it was like hiring people and working with people and collaborating and all that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. so, you know, within a couple of months or so, I kind of made the decision, like, okay, I want to start another studio. And I, wa- I was like, I really want to call it school. I'm really interested. Like, one, I just really love things that are named so blandly that, like, yeah. you could never find them <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think it's just, like, I feel I think, that. <laughs> I think that's, like, amazing. Uh, yeah, I do, too. <laughs> Something just, it's weird. You know, I think yeah. it's like a yeah. I there's yeah yeah. I was I wanted to drum up some quick examples, but um, it, they'll come to me. Yeah, but go on. There's, a, there's something like so bold, like it's so bold and unbold at the same time. You know, it's like it's like mm-hmm. wow, you really just called it that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. But that's like, like yeah, well, yep. like a million things named that. How are you gonna like? How can you possibly own that? And it's like yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the best part about it. <laughs> Um, but also like, because I, I guess like one of the big things that I, I took away from Haraf was just like, I really love learning. I really love doing work that puts me in a situation where I like kind of know what I'm doing, but also have to figure some stuff out. And, you know, my whole career, my practice, everything has been based on doing work that no one really asked me to do you know, and then like mm-hmm. putting that work out in the world and then someone asks you to do it. And by the time they've asked me to do it, I'm already doing something else, <laughs> you know? Like, sure. And so, yeah. And, yeah. and like, yeah. you know, I felt like that was kind of like school, you know, it's kind of like being in university. That was kind of like those times where it's like, you're not doing it because you're getting paid. You're doing it because like you want to be doing it. 
and you're really curious about what it is that you're doing. And I don't know, that that's like all maybe some idealistic like underpinnings of the name, but you know, it's just like, that was kind of what I learned from the experience of Haraf. And I just kind of focused on those things and, and that realization. And Nikki, who was a partner at Haraf, um, is an amazing creative technologist. He's like an amazing engineer. Um, and we had worked together at that point for many, you know, a couple of years because we had worked together at the Creative Lab and then now spent another three years working together at Hallraff. And so, you know, him and I had gotten a drink, you know, at some point. And I was kind of like mentioning like, yeah, I think I'm going to do this again. And he was kind of like, you know, I kind of felt similarly, like I kind of have, like, I feel like we're fairly aligned on some of these ideas and like, you know, I, I would want to do it. I would be interested in doing it again. And so we just kind of decided to, to re, you know, to work together again and, and just be the two of us this time. Um, mm-hmm. But the focus, I think being more, a little, like a lot more focused, I guess, I would say like the, the scope of what we're doing and kind of like the, the care and, and like, you know, the motivation behind the work that was being done was, was a lot more focused than it was in Haraf. Uh, Haraf, I think we're, we're just figuring a lot of things out. And, you know, after that, Mm -hmm. I feel like with school, there's a lot better grasp on, on what school is and like what kind of work school does really well. And, you know, why we exist and why we, when we hire people, like who do we hire and, you know, what's their experience going to be like? Like, I feel like a lot of those things, feel a lot more uh, considered this time around because of the, uh, you know, because we had the chance to try it once, uh, which I think is like super valuable. And who knows, like maybe I would say, you know, also, I think maybe you mentioned like school day to day, you know, it's like, yeah, we we also started, I mean, we officially started the studio about uh, four or five months before this pandemic started so <laughs> yeah. you know it was <laughs> like, it's a lot it's been, I mean yeah it's been weird you know it's been we we had hired mm-hmm. um like another designer and we hired basically like a kind of junior designer and a junior I guess creative technologist um in the fall of last year or like the late summer fall of last year and the designer was actually a student of mine Um, who had just graduated which was really cool to like have a student that I had worked with you know through senior Mm -hmm. year and then come work with us Um, but you know like the first I would say the first like three or four months was really cool (laughs) it was super fun you know I think we were like starting to drive towards a lot of these ideals and, and figuring a lot of these things out and in the beginning of this year obviously as with everyone you know it came the realization that we needed to hunker down and kind of figure out how we're going to make it through this year um which unfortunately Mm. meant that it was not going to be as big of a studio as it was initially so the the majority of Mm. this year has just been nikki and i kind of working as as partners um but you know, which has been, I think, a, a good, like, humbling experience in a lot of ways just to get back to, like, surviving to a certain extent and then, like, really thinking about, like, what is the work that we're doing? Do we mm-hmm. want to be doing it? 
you know, does it have value? Does it, does it, you know, is it worthwhile in this moment in time, you know, because like, I think sure. like things need to, you know, have like necessitated a little bit more focus or thought or else, uh, you know, they kind of cease to exist. And so I would mm-hmm. say like the day to day right now is uh, a little bit, unusual in some in some ways like we're oh, we're kind of doing right now we're actually working on a new school site which is like kind of a proper website with like case studies and all that stuff um but <laughs> your your current site is a lot of fun yeah well this one this one is going to be also a lot of fun don't worry about that we yeah, I, I would say f- there's always a thread of humor and fun and playfulness and any digital work that I've seen you produce. Yeah, this one will be, sure. this one, trust me, will be very, <laughs> will be very stacked in, in that. It drip, dripping yeah, in it's fun. Yeah, definitely dripping, dripping in <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, and so we're, we're currently working on that. We just finished up this summer. We actually had a, a really great opportunity. We worked with the Gates Foundation on a project where we were working with teachers to build tools uh, like digital mm-hmm. digital tools for them um, over the summer, which was really amazing. We got to work with a lot of teachers like all over the country, um, you know, from like Chicago to Kentucky to LA and San Francisco and the Bronx and, you know, just all over the place. So mm-hmm. obviously everything Super was virtual, fun. but, you know, it was just like a really fun project to do it was really nice just to do something that was like function you know it was just super functional and but thoughtful mm-hmm. you know at the same time and and now uh, well transformative i mean yeah. it, it'll make a huge difference yeah exactly um, i mean and, and that sort of yeah. stuff is i think you know it's just nice it's nice to be able to be involved with some of those things from time to time you know i think that there's obviously companies that make their whole being about that which I, I find super admirable um and and i don't know i don't know maybe that's the way that we'll we'll go in the future but you know it's, it's just nice it's nice to be able to do that and so we're not right now we're working on new site we're working on we're working on like an like a future a future proof identity for a really big tech company um mm. it, like future proof as in like it's probably something that wouldn't exist in the next couple of years but like down the road and i mean like as anyone who knows like big companies take years to implement new identities anyway so like yeah. it's kind of a really interesting brief in that sense it was like take something it's like rather uh static in a lot of ways and and find ways to kind of breathe life into it with technologies and kind of humanity that you know is available to us now through you know a lot of different means um so that's been a really interesting thing that we've been working on lately and we just wrapped up um i think it's like shipping now we're shipping like to the studio now but we i i wrote i wrote a book basically um about nice. the project that i did in romania uh which ended up being like a hundred and 60 pages um Mm. we designed the book in the studio uh and we just finished getting it printed um we worked with like a printer in in belgium 
and mm-hmm. it talked to the couple publishing companies, but I don't know, like all that stuff was nothing really, nothing really came of it that seemed like super worthwhile. And so we kind of were just like, well, maybe we'll just start a publishing company uh, as you do to produce books. Yeah, as you do. <laughs> and yeah. so we're kind of also working on that as well. Um, you know, so I think like school is kind of this place that produces, you know, everything from art to books to design to companies, you know, like even small, small yeah. companies themselves. Uh, like launches enterprise. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's very funny because uh, I feel a little similarly very small that my own practice, not practice makes practice, is starting to lean that way too, where it's like, well, I want to do this thing. So I'm just going to try to launch it and partner and <laughs> yeah. find the right way to, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. like, it, it really practice makes practice came from that originally. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I feel like this whole thing is part of like, birth. it's all that. part of it. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's kind of one of those things, like you just said, it's like, sometimes I feel like the first rule of a good project or a good new business is like, if you feel like you want to see something happen and it doesn't exist, just do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> like don't wait for permission or wait for someone else to provide it. And I know? feel like just like now is the time. Like, the I don't, time. yeah, it's just like, there's so much possibility. Like you can, like without spending a ton of money, you can buy a URL, you can... <laughs> And, you know, like, boom, that, like, if you have whatever.com, it's like, oh, well, you're, that's a company, you know, like. I mean, you're, yep, you launched. And <laughs> yeah. I just think, you know, and you have an Instagram handle and, you know, yada, 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 like, boom, you're, you're up and running. Like, it's not, and I think like that will just become more and more like the future, you know, that is, I mean, it's not even the future. That's like the present is just like. people and younger creatives like are not waiting for someone to tell them like yeah we'll like pick up your book and we'll like we'll give you this deal where like after it sells a thousand then we'll pay you x amount of dollars or whatever it's like nah you know what i don't care i'll just do it myself like yeah like and which i think is like it's great i mean i think that's that's I great. Too. I think that's super important. Well, I, I think it provides for a, a far more democratic landscape super. in terms of how ideas are being produced and distributed. And um, uh, also, I think that it um, may build more business relationships going forward too, Mm -hmm. you know, because as you, as you source printers, as you figure out how to make this stuff come together, that traditionally a publishing company might've handled for you, you you really build these great relationships over time, you know, dare I I say it, it makes things more accessible. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Use the word of the, my word of the day. accessibility no it's very true and um sometimes um younger younger creatives like once they understand like how accessible things can become um it just creates a lot of power absolutely Um, yeah i mean i feel like like was that for you like 
like, I mean, you started an entire nonprofit organization. I mean, what, like, <laughs> <once> <laughs> honestly, <laughs> like, what's my story well, I mean, with like, that? Like, how did it happen? I guess, like, you did that. You know what I mean? It's like, it wasn't, you know, you didn't wait around for someone to say, like, oh, we would love to make your idea. Like, we would love to make that a part of, like, our nonprofit organization. It was like, no, no, I'm going to, like, figure out. I mean, the beauty is, like, with the internet and all of these things, like you can figure out how to do all that stuff, right? Like you started a full nonprofit yeah. organization uh, yep. <laughs> because you felt like that's what needs to exist. Exactly. And it was, it was funny cause it was like, uh, I, I'll just a quick sidebar, but like it all got started actually because originally I wanted to open up a bookstore, like a, um, like a design, like a really well curated design focused does art and design focused bookstore in Atlanta because um and I'd actually like to talk about Atlanta a little bit with you too but um I just didn't feel like there was a, a great place um to get that those kind of titles here and you know I've lived in New York and I've traveled around you know uh to all kinds of different places that have these types of bookstores mm-hmm. And I always found a lot of delight in just going in there and picking up stuff and being exposed to interestingly designed books. And um, so it started with that. And then I actually um, had a consultation with um, one of my friends who's now a board member of the nonprofit, a really great strategist. He's like, you know, this could become a nonprofit. And then I was like, I never thought about that, but we need it. And then I went back and I was like, well, if it's a nonprofit, that means I can do programming and projects and do these things. Like I got really excited (laughs) and I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And like, you're absolutely right. Like in not that long of of time, I, I was like, all right, here's the stuff I got to do and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's, you know, it's the fun part about it, probably similar to you with running school is like, every day is kind of an experiment. Every (laughs) day is like learning. I'm learning a lot, you know, like. You get to to do this, these conversations, I mean, and things like, yeah, I just think that stuff is so, that's, that's the future of things, you know, that that's wholly Mm -hmm. the future is like, I mean, obviously there will always be, uh things that exist as we see them now in terms of like big organizations and stuff that has to exist but like i just think more and more there's like this dissemination of of ideas and communities and you know things that are just like more specific and more valuable for people (laughs) you know like real people yeah than like this idea of people or this idea of customers and consumers or yada 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 like whatever yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because, like, just by having these conversations that we're having today, um, you know, you get one or two listeners, and it's kind of like you were talking about at the beginning of our conversation, it sparks enough of an interest that they take that torch into their own, you know, trajectory and start developing their own thing. Right. That's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, so I think so much of it really does start with like, um, accessibility conversation and just a willingness to say like, uh, you know, I can do this. Like I can put together, somebody did this at one point, I can do it too. Exactly. Um, 
So a couple other questions. Um, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. Let's talk about Atlanta a little bit. Um, you've done a project mm-hmm. here, a communal line, um, and you're currently based in New York City. Um, how does living in New York benefit your practice um, would be my first question. And then I'm going to, after that, I'm going to um, put a spotlight on Atlanta. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So I think like being in New York is, I mean, pre pandemic <laughs> or yeah. sans pandemic um, is just like, there's, there's just a real, and I think like generally this exists in all cities perhaps maybe in New York a little bit more like there's just an energy to it there's just like an ability for so many opportunities um you know you just like meet so many people and there's just so many things going on and so many things are coming through and you know you're all of a sudden you realize that oh your next or your studio neighbor does something that you're really interested in or or has been or is someone that you know of or like you want to meet or something like that like it's so funny there's like on our on the floor that we have our studio in there's like a production company that we like ended up meeting through like a friend of a friend that we like almost ended up working with to do like a big uh, video project that we did last year there's this artist who's down the hall from us who uh i followed on instagram for a long time and like i've since met and like you know it's just like random things like that that are just like really i think um kind of amazing uh and it's just like all the museums all the art like like i said pre-pandemic uh my wife and i would try to make a habit of like at least once a month going to chelsea to see you know, like, but whatever the latest shows were in all the galleries there, you know, because you have the best contemporary art in the world kind of like always streaming through. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just like the energy and the networking and the people, you know, that really make it amazing. Uh, Things that make it unamazing (laughs) are (laughs) the cost of living and the... uh, sometimes like the people that are just like super annoyingly competitive about things or like are not (laughs) super chill or nice people, uh, which is also possible to to run into, Mm. which I think like places like Atlanta or like I'm, my wife and I are like originally from like Philadelphia. And so there's like cities like that, that I also really, really admire and love going Mm. to because there's such a sense of like community there, you know, there's like perhaps more of like, you know, your neighbors, you know what you stand for. Like there's this, there's just feels like at times there's just more tighter, there's the ability to have a tighter knit community and, you know, do things that are perhaps like larger because everyone comes together to do them. Whereas like New York, I feel like at times can feel more transient and you know like Mm. there's a lot of amazing people here but like you might just be kind of like crossing paths in the night you know it might not be like you might see someone at one thing and then 
next thing you know, they're like moving away or they went to LA or, you know, whatever, like things like that. Where I feel like places like Atlanta and and Philadelphia and, and those types, you know, those cities, I don't know, to me feel like those are the places that you, that I look for, like Chicago, you know, where I look at like artists who are really like ingrained in the communities there and are really like doing work that, uh, I think like perhaps has, you know, like I look at this project that you're doing, you know, and, and seeing like, not that it couldn't exist in New York, but it's just like in New York, it would be in a sea of other nonprofits that are doing kind of similar, but not really similar things. Whereas like in Atlanta, I feel like perhaps something like this has a much larger ability to really be effective and really like do things, you know, mm-hmm. um, which perhaps is like preempting your question <laughs> or, or <laughs> statements about Atlanta. <laughs> Uh, Oh, no, I mean, like, I, I'm in Atlanta by choice, you know, obviously, and I, um, uh, personally, I mean, one of the driving, driving uh, forces behind this project is that I think there's so much potential here um, to grow a very, very unique design culture. Um, And I guess I could be expanded to like, art and design culture, but, um, but in your opinion, from the outside looking in, um, how, how do you feel like Atlanta can, um, build its own reputation, I guess is a way to put it, um, or become attractive as a center for, um, up and coming designers? I mean, I think, I think it is already. I don't, I mean, I know I'll just like <laughs> quickly shout out a few other, how, what do you guys, what are Atlanta people called? Atlant, Atlantonians? <laughs> uh, Atla- Atlantans or ATLians. <laughs> ATLians. Uh, the, ATLians, yeah, that, that became popular, I think, by Outcast. Oh, um, nice, like, yeah. Almost nice. like two decades ago or something. <laughs> but... but it kind of works. Yeah, yeah, it definitely works. Um, but like I have, I've known, there's like a couple of people, um, Justin McEldry, who runs, who I think you know is like a podcast. He's also an architect um, who lives and works in Atlanta. There's Elliot, another friend of mine, Elliot McKnight, who runs a little uh, studio called Research and Development. Um, there's uh, another, like this, amazing illustrator uh that i know down there gfb george um who Mm. i just actually was running the other day and ran past one of his billboards that was like up in new york city nice like oh nice and i'm a photo so i guess like my point and just kind of like mentioning some of those people is that like i don't know i mean i think like Atlanta I I don't know like I I think Atlanta already is like there's a lot of things going on and I guess it's just a matter of like doing the things you know and also there's like I think what I appreciate about a lot of the work that all those people are doing is like and I think even you know and the same with like the work that you're doing it's like not trying to be New York or 
you're not trying to be anything else it's like and nor should it be it's like this is atlanta this is there's a lot to offer here and like i think that cities that do that and people that do that within their cities uh are the people that are like doing things that i think are really that make me want to like hmm, maybe i should leave new york and go live in like, atlanta <laughs> or something like that like that looks like a lot of fun and and like you know and and honestly it's like i've done a lot of pro- like i've done the majority of the work that i do outside of new york like and mostly because mm. it's like you can get away with more stuff like when when i did the installation in philadelphia last year we we had it installed uh on the waterway down there which is like a big kind of like thoroughfare area and that part of it was like really strict and like we had to work with like union contractors and like all that you know all this sort of stuff to like build the thing but one of the curator that I was working with um we kind of had this idea that we were like well I had done some of these experiments in the studio when I was trying to figure out the mirrors uh where I was like polishing street signs so much so that they would like turn into mirrors and he he was like well what if we just like made a bunch of those and then we just went around the city and hung them with like other street signs you know like you could like paint the blue dot on them and then we'll just go hang them around the city and i was like can you do that like i mean in (laughs) new york you would be like arrested probably like immediately but we literally like i painted it like polished and painted a bunch of them in the studio and then we went down, I went down to Philadelphia and we spent the day driving around in his truck with like hard hats and yellow uh, vests on. And we would just stop, put up the ladder, <laughs> climb up these poles yeah. and like attach these street signs uh, that made no sense. You know, they're these totally abstract street signs. <laughs> they just have a big, <laughs> big blue dot on them. Um, yeah. And we would just like throw them up all over the city. And, you know, it's like stuff like that that is like, Oh man, I love like you couldn't do that. You couldn't do that in New York, and, and for a lot of reasons. But that's amazing, you know. Like, and that's that's unique, you know. And so I think like more the more yeah. that like cities, the more that people in those cities like take advantage of what it is that's so special about those places. I think is what makes those places so great, you know. And like everywhere has its value you know everyone has their part to play and every city has its kind of inherent value and like I think that you know recognizing that and like utilizing that are what make those places so great regardless of whether there's a population of 10 million or 50,000 you know like exactly you know of the um the rural studio uh, is that out of Auburn? Yes, yeah. It's the Auburn, yeah, it's yeah. the Auburn architecture program that they run. Um, I forget what this, what the town is, but they've, like, for people who don't know, I'd re- really recommend looking it up. Um, Sam Maccabee was the guy who founded it, and he's since passed away. I mean, it's existed for over probably 25 years now. But basically the program is, like, run out of Auburn, but they work in a town that's like an hour away from Auburn campus. And they basically like build structures in that town for the community. Like they work with the community to like build structures there. So they're like architecture students that are working, getting to build things in the community for people 
who are like, yeah, we could use uh, this or we could use that. And they're kind of like figuring out how to do it, mm. you know, inexpensively and, and structurally sound um, as a challenge for students. And like, that could not exist in New York, you know, <laughs> like, no. but like, that's like, that's amazing. Like, that's so cool. Like I, and I've, I've been a huge fan of the rural studio for a long time. And it's just like, you know, I think that those, those sorts of things are, are amazing. And, you know, those are what make each city and each place, each town, you know, whatever it is, like, unique and, and valuable. And I don't know, that stuff is really cool. I definitely agree. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's like nice to hear your perspective on that because um, just kind of from the inside out, um, I've been an educator um, here for almost four years. I've taught at, you know, two different um, universities. And it's very funny because I noticed there's either, there's like a split in the mentality. One, one mentality is, okay, to be, to do anything as a designer, I have to go to LA or New York. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> what? you know, like, yeah. and I think a lot of times that translates to if I'm going to be hired, mm -hmm. I have to go there, you know, yeah. like if I'm going to work at a studio, which there's that. The other side is, you know, I love being down here because there's so much opportunity yeah. to do, to do things here. And, you know, we do have advantages. It's a lower cost of living. Um, we don't, we're not oversaturated with, uh, designers and design studios. So I think there's more room to, to build and create. Which is, a, innovative. Which sound, which is the, maybe the most amazing thing. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Exactly. Right. Um, it's like, because then, you know, you get the, this cool, like this different kind of culture around it, you know? Um, so, so that's really encouraging that you, that you have a positive uh, outsider. I don't want to keep saying outsider view. I mean, I think you, you know, you know enough about it. Um, um, but yeah, you mentioned like Justin, like we, I just, I interviewed him last week. Amazing. Actually. Justin, <laughs> yeah, he, he's awesome. We've been uh, hanging out a lot virtually. We've never met in person, but we've Good. had many conversations. I have a lot of respect for Good. what he's working on here for sure. Um, but, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I mean, I think that yeah. it's, I think that it's maybe, I mean, you, you spent some time I mean, you lived in New York for a while too. I mean, I think it's kind of like, perhaps there's this, you know, you kind of described it pretty well, I think as like this split between like, I have to like to get hired. And I think maybe like there's this idea that like to get experience or something like that, you go to these like big cities, which I think is like fine. But I guess there's like, a, it's like almost a different type of person that's like, well, I'm going to I think there's a lot of value here and sometimes it takes and maybe you and I would be curious to hear your thought on this but it's like almost sometimes it takes going away to look back at like what's possible in the city or the town or whatever that you came from to go like oh there's actually a ton of resources to do stuff here like I don't need to be mm -hmm. elsewhere I can do I can do more here than I could somewhere else. 
Uh, yeah, that was my experience. I, you know, when I was getting out of school um, and I started to look around uh, Atlanta, <clears throat> I had a really hard time finding existing studios doing the kind of work that I thought was interesting and mm -hmm. motivating. You know, they're at that point, you know, and that wasn't that long ago, but that was kind of uh, like 2012, 2011. Um, there were like agencies that were big, but, you know, worked with like big corporate clients, but really weren't doing much that I was like, oh, that's really, you know, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> like it was yeah. like, oh. Um, so like I started to go into research and I found, you know, most of the studios doing work that I liked were either in Europe or they were in basically in New York city. I didn't really find too many outside of New York city at that point. Yeah. So yeah, I had this idea. I was like, Oh, okay. If I'm going to be a designer, I, I have to go to New York. And the irony of that is I had already lived in New York before deciding to go to design school. Right. So I, yeah. Cause I moved up there. Uh, cause at that point I was trying to be a, you know, just an artist. So I was like, oh, I gotta go to New York to be an artist. And I was there for a while. And it, it's what led me to switching into like design as a study. Like, so I, yeah. I went back to school, came back South and then I went back to New York. So I did this rubber band for a little while. And, um, it was really funny cause I remember when I moved up to New York to start working in some studios at that point, my assumption was, okay, well, I'm going to be in New York probably forever now. Right. Um, you know, and I'm just going to be a designer and life's going to be good and stuff. And after a little while, a few years, um, I started to really, really, really miss Atlanta and miss the Southeast and, and miss specifically some of the stuff you were talking about, you know, community and the resources that are available and the, uh, flexible potential of what could be done yeah. and you know being in new york for a while showed me how broad that could like if i went back to atlanta there's so many different things i could do right you know yeah. so yeah i mean it was beneficial um i i guess i wish i had had that perspective a little bit before going to new york but it's you know, it's all valuable yeah. in my book. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit of like a chicken or the egg situation too, because it's almost like without that experience, would you have looked at Atlanta with so much appreciation? You know what I mean? Without the like renewed sense of like, oh, wow, there's, <laughs> I can't do this here, but I could do so much here, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, and I mean, I guess one of, one of the, objectives of <clears throat> practice makes practice i would say is to try to help shine light on that mm -hmm. for emerging designers in atlanta yeah so that they don't they don't feel that they have to leave like yeah. it, one of the goals i think would be retaining the talent here you know yeah uh but yeah Whew, amazing. Um, <laughs> um, well, we're starting to get a little close to time. Um, I'm curious, is there anything else you'd like to share with us uh, before we uh, close the episode? 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Anything I you like, want. Yeah, I feel like we've we've drilled through a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess like my <laughs> maybe parting words. Um, because I feel like I say this often, so I, I feel like it might be worth repeating here. But it's just like a few things that I think about a lot with the projects and the work and like the things that we do um, within the studio, the things that I'm doing within, you know, the practice. Um, but just kind of, I, I, was th- I was having this conversation with a, a, like a student the other day. And I was talking about this idea of like the, the Olympic artist, you know, in the sense that like um, to like art or design or any of these kind of creative practices are not really any different from like being a professional athlete in the sense that like they take an an immense amount of practice and an immense amount of like work before, you know, you get good at it. And it's kind of like the same as, you know, like a marathon or something like that where you're constantly pushing and constantly questioning and constantly, you know, kind of training your mind and, you know, your, your techniques to go further, you go faster, go, you know, make new things and better things. And, um, it's something that I think about often in terms of like the, the overall arch of the work that I'm making and like, you know, this kind of like micro, this constant micro macro look at things, you know, where it's like, okay, like this is happening right now. And we're like, you know, I talked about like, well, we're about to put up a new website for school and we're about to publish this book and, you know, that sort of stuff. But then also stepping back and and looking at like the trajectory of all of these projects and practice as a whole, you know, and like, how does that trajectory look, you know, and not getting just caught up in the ground level day-to-day um, you know, small victories without keeping perspective on like, where is the, where are we going overall? You know, where am I going? What is all this work saying? What is, uh, what is the communication coming across, you know, and, and just kind of like keeping that sort of stuff in perspective. Um, and just knowing that like good work, good work leads to more work. And like, maybe most importantly, is like you get the work that you do meaning that like Mm -hmm. the work that you put out into the world is the work that people see and it's the work that people associate you with so like if you're thinking like oh i really i'm like a graphic designer but i really want to be a painter like well you probably need to start painting um you probably need to start you know voicing some of that that opinion because that's what people associate you with. And, you know, I think that's a conversation that I feel like I have fairly often, especially with younger, younger. Yeah. And something that a conversation that I have with myself, (laughs) you know, honestly, yeah, you know, on a pretty regular basis. (laughs) Oh, me too. Like I have the same conversation with younger, uh, like students or up and coming, whatever. It's like, they feel they have to fit this mold and say, well, I guess this is what'll get me hired. And I'm like, I think you're looking at that backwards. Right. Like, yeah. you know, what are you really motivated to do? We'll do that because that's what's gonna, first off, that's gonna bring the most value to, to people. Yeah. Like if you're really driven to do it, 
and it's a really it's a true reflection of your interests you're just going to bring a lot a lot more to the to the job project relationship whatever if that's you know what i yeah. mean yeah um <clears throat> so i and yeah and like zooming back and always kind of taking a little bit of inventory about what am i putting out into the world is this what i really want to be putting out into the world you know because yeah. you know honestly you can't get time back you know we only have the time we have you might as well spend it doing stuff that feels purposeful to you yeah. you know yeah <laughs> definitely yeah and and yeah, so, ideally like the world at large and not to say that that's like some sort of like design can save the world thing but i think like using that same like micro macro lens to just understand like your place in the world and like what value or what benefit or like what you know what what does that offer you know whether it's like something super small or whether it's like large or whether it's you know has nothing to do with design or anything like that at all but just right being cognizant of that you know people and and how does the effect of the things that you are doing you know what is your the causes that you're putting out into the world what are the effects of those things because you know i think that's also extremely important and oftentimes not something that is meditated on too much in the creative oh world you know it's just like put them <laughs> put shit out because no real thought uh and so you know just something to always be mindful of is everyone <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> well on that note um thank you for spending some time with us andrew uh, i think that was a really rewarding conversation um for everyone listening uh uh this has been a great conversation with Andrew Herzog. Um, and uh, we thank you for tuning in. And uh, we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks a bunch.